The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today, Dr. Norman Rosenthal, is a world-renowned psychiatrist and best-selling author who is the first person to describe Seasonal Affective Disorder, SAD, and to pioneer the use of light therapy in its treatment. He did this during his 20 years at the National Institute of Mental Health. Dr. Rosenthal's newest book is Defeating SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder, a guide to health and happiness through all seasons. You can read his essay, How Meditation Can Help Combat Seasonal Affective Disorder, on the Spirituality and Health magazine website, spiritualityhealth.com. Dr. Norman Rosenthal, welcome to the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Thank you. So, you know, honestly, I, I read this book. I, I was, it's really an excellent book. And I'm tempted to jump right in and, and have you reveal how we might defeat, you know, SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder. But I hesitate to do so because I'm, I guess I'm afraid that not everyone is familiar with the disorder itself. I mean, it seems to me it's been around for a long time. You've been working on it for over 20 years. So let's just start with basic definition. So what is seasonal affective disorder? Originally, seasonal affective disorder was exclusively related to the winter. We've subsequently learned that there was also a summer version. But since summer is behind us and winter is ahead of us, let's focus on the winter time. As the days get shorter and darker, uh, certain people begin to have difficulties. They may be mild and just a slight nuisance, but they can be very severe and even disabling. When you get to people who are really significantly affected by the lack of light, then you're talking about seasonal affective disorder. The other people who just don't feel that great or aren't as creative or productive, but have the same pattern in the winter are often termed people with winter blues. So seasonal affective disorder is this rather severe or moderately severe condition that comes on each winter and the winter blues, it's milder relative. And it used to be, and I mean, you're the pioneer in this. It, it used to be that the primary way of dealing with this was light therapy, right? And, and that was your, oh, it's not an invention. It was your discovery? Yes. Well, firstly, if you say it used to be, and let's take before, say, 1980, it used to be known under various terms as the Christmas crunch or various kinds of things. And 
people just felt it was something you just had to endure. It was part of the winter, and people just, this was what winter was like. One uh, famous quote that's in the book is Charles Dudley Warner, who said, everybody complains about the weather, but nobody does anything about it. And the general feeling was that you really couldn't do anything about it. And then in the early 1980s, with my colleague's help, I described this condition that we've just been discussing. And it was intimately connected as we predicted to the light. So yes, the primary treatment was light therapy. Okay, so primary is probably is, is a better word than, than the way I, I described it. But as I understand from your new book, you've come to a a broader view of treating SAD. Yes, absolutely. And I quote the Greek poet Archelaus, who said, the fox has many tricks, but the porcupine has one big trick. So that's how it is with seasonal affective disorder. The big trick is light therapy. Uh, but if you want to really defeat this winter malady, you really need to be the fox and use many different kinds of treatments to capture all the uh, nooks and crannies of this you know, potentially very unpleasant condition. So just to be very precise, if you look at some of the studies of light therapy, even studies done by very good groups, and you look at those people who don't just feel a little bit better, but really and truly respond, only about one in three people are going to respond. Yes, they'd beat placebo, and that's very nice, but it really doesn't defeat the condition, which is the word I'm using here. In order to do that, you need to combine that light therapy with multiple other interventions. And that's why I have this guide to health and happiness through all seasons. If I simply meant you just use the lights, I would have said, you know, light therapy for sad. But in fact, it's quite a bit broader than that. Right. I mean, you talk about diet, you talk about exercise, meditation, and I, I want to get into some of those things, but not diet because that word makes me gives me hives. But no, we'll, we'll talk about those things along with cognitive behavioral therapy. But if you go online, if one goes online, you can find all these, I guess, lamps, you know, you can plug in and as, as sometimes they're touted as cures for seasonal affective disorder. Are any of these things of value? Well, I think it's like everything else, you know, some are extremely valuable and some are really not worth the money you pay for them because they may be poorly made, they may not give the amount of light you're looking for, and on and on. So I think that the quality of the light box or the, the lamp is very important, just as is the way to use it. I'll give you a very stark example. I recently told a, a client of mine to sit in front of the lamp and for whatever, 20 minutes, and so far away from her and, and whatever. And in a week or two, I heard that the lamp was doing no good. And I said, well, 
where is the lamp placed in relation to your head? And she had actually put the lamp behind her head. So the light was not coming in through the eyes, which is how the light comes in. And that's just one little example, or really not a little example, it's a major example of how you firstly need a good quality lamp, and secondly, you need to use it in just the right way. And I do have a, I do have a, a whole two chapters on how exactly to use the light and several other chapters on all the other things that are important. Well, you actually, I mean, you don't, I don't know, you're not promoting a specific brand or anything, but you do have photographs of some that, it, I mean, you are suggesting these work. On that. Right. Well, you know, I, I, I have tried to steer clear of brand names because I didn't want to appear to be a huckster who was sort of selling somebody's brand. But then eventually, since I have no commercial interests in any of these brands, I decided in this book to try and be more useful and exactly specify which brands I thought were amongst some of the well-made, adequate, accurate models. And they are included in the book. So, you know, several of these brands, some of them lights standing up, some of them lights that come on gradually in the morning, also known as wake-up lights or dawn simulators. And all of these things are included because I wanted this book to be as practical and useful as possible. Yeah, and I, I guess we won't... I, I was going to ask you, you want to name the brands that you like? People can can check the book out to see which ones you suggest, I guess and how best to use them. So I'll let people look at the book for that. But you do have something of equally practical value, especially, as you said, you know, we're recording this in September, something you call the autumn check-in and the autumn checklist. So uh, talk to us ab about that. How, how do people, what, what are they supposed to do? What can people do to get ready for the season? Well, first thing, you know, is to know when it's time to get ready. And the time to get ready is now or as soon as possible, because we're already losing a great deal of light each day. In fact, I calculated just here in the mid-Atlantic between the height of summer and Labor Day, which is now weeks past, there was an hour loss of light just in the morning alone. So the days are shrinking rapidly, and so people are already, in some people, are already experiencing. What are they experiencing? Fatigue in the morning, not feeling at their best, a bit draggy, less enthusiasm, various issues, especially if there's a cloudy day. Well, fortunately, I don't know what it's like where you are, but here it's been reasonably sunny, but there, there's still for many people, a need to begin to treat themselves now. But looking forward, which is what you know, preparation is all about, you want to be sure that your lighting environment at home is as bright and sunny as it can be. What that may mean is simple things like trimming the hedges around your windows or clearing up the layer of grime that collected on the windows since the summertime. It could mean making one room in the house particularly bright and appealing and attractive. 
And also, it could mean preparing for a one or two little vacations in the winter closer to the sun. If you do it now, you'll get better rates in the airlines and you'll be get, getting more easily accommodated. And so it's just thinking of what's going to happen, getting your maybe workout program in place. Because, you know, when you are in the depths of the winter depression, all you may want to do is to sit on the couch with a couple of donuts and watch TV. And so if you've got a program or you make arrangements with friends to get together for lunch dates and keep active, you're much more likely to weather the winter in good spirits. What do you call it if you like to sit on the couch with donuts and watch TV in the summer also? That, well, that, isn't, that isn't seasonal for me. That's year-round entertainment. That's called perennial. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's <laughs> that's perennial. That's pad perennial but, affective disorder, but, <laughs> or or just laziness. I don't know, but that's my lifestyle. So, I mean, these are all really practical things that people can do. Basic, pretty simple things. The other you you didn't mention it, but I just want to make sure that people hear it. You also suggest that people check in with their their doctor. Yes, and and that's variable. I mean, if if you have a mild case of the winter blues, you don't have to march off to your doctor. But let's say yours is a little more severe and you've been on an antidepressant, perhaps, which some people need. And they, they need to often combine that with life therapy and other things. But that antidepressant may need to, the dosage may need to be adjusted or some additional brainstorming may be valuable with your doctor or therapist. So it's a good time to check in and make sure that you're not left in the middle of the winter with some kind of untreated problem that now starts to play up and give you trouble. One of the things I thought was really interesting, uh, and you mentioned it in the autumn check-in, is that you, you might think something's wrong with me, like like psychologically, or there's some major crisis in my life. I'm just feeling so, so sore, so sad, so depressed, whatever it is, when in fact, I just need more light or I need to change my diet because it's the season. And, and that's what's really triggering this. And there's, we're not talking about a major life change. We're talking about adapting to the season in a different way. And one of the things you say in the book is or sort of to, to check in in autumn and be sure you have your winter plans in place to sort of anticipate what sadness might erupt, not, not specific things that trigger it, but just to anticipate this could be sort of a sad time of year. And, you know, people say, oh, it's the holidays, it's Christmas, but maybe it's just the season and then you write and plan to mitigate them. And the checklist is, is, you know, gives you practical ways to mitigate them. But I also think just knowing that this is a seasonal thing and it can happen in the winter. And, and like you said earlier, it can happen in the summer, but it's a seasonal thing. And it's not, but it's not you. It's, it's, it's just the way your body reacts to the 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 season, the, the the you know the not the the holiday season, but the actual turn of you know the planet around the sun season, 
that is is causing this. It takes the stigma out of it. Well, I think that's such an important point that you've just made because I think even though we know that depression is a biological illness and there ought not to be any shame associated with it, there still is a sort of self-consciousness at the very least, an embarrassment at being depressed, at not being able to do your work properly or manage the home or manage your family or whatever the case may be. And it carries a stigma, albeit that we've all tried so hard to destigmatize all kinds of mental illness. But there's something about the seasonal affective disorder that makes you feel you're just part of the animal kingdom. You know, the the bears hibernate, the squirrels hibernate, and gosh, I feel like hibernating. It it makes it much more like, yes, we, we're all parts of nature who have evolved with the seasons and evolved to respond in various ways to the seasons. And it's just an easier transition to get your mind around, or so I have found with so many people whom I have treated and encountered over the years. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. One of the things that I mentioned very quickly, I think I mentioned this while we were recording and not before, that you mentioned in the book and that we actually talked about on a previous podcast with uh, a friend of your father's, Dr. David Ross Marin, cognitive behavior therapy. And it's another tool that, that you mentioned in the book about dealing with seasonal affective disorder. I think I mentioned it to him and, and uh, I have very little experience with CBT, but I did take a seminar with Albert Ellis, who I think is one of the founders of cognitive behavior therapy. But all I remember from the class with him is he said something like, I mean, the, as, as I understand it, the basic idea is, is that our beliefs about a situation cause us to feel and think, de- determine the way we think and feel. And it's, it's not the thoughts or feelings that matter. It's, it's going back and changing the belief that's triggering them. And I remember him saying something like the example he, I forget the example he gave, but if, every time he said, Every time you have that belief or that thought, you said, tear up a $20 bill. <laughs> and, and first of all, I couldn't do that now. And talking decades and decades ago, when I was a student, I didn't have $20 I could tear up. And his thinking was, well, clearly, since I can't afford to tear up a $20 bill, I would change my belief system. But what I actually did was I, I got out of the seminar because <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't afford to take his advice. But Putting Albert Ellis aside, how do you employ cognitive behavioral therapy in working with seasonal affective disorder? Well, I I can certainly tell you that, but before I do, I don't know if the people listening, most of them would know or have even heard of Albert Ellis, but he is a revered figure in the field because of his revolutionary 
refocusing of the problem on your beliefs or on what you're thinking. Whereas the dominant thrust of psychiatry at the time and to some extent since, but but certainly for the major part of the 20th century, a dominant aspect of psychiatry has been the unconscious. You've got to probe the unconscious and understand the deep roots of everything that's going wrong. And then once you've understood that, somehow that would kind of be the catharsis and it would be the key to solving everything. And this has been, you know, radically challenged by Albert Ellis and many others. Aaron Beck is a key figure in that story. And Beck used to say famously that there's always more to the surface than meets the eye, that there might be something right on the surface that you could seize and twist around in your mind in a way that could make you feel better. So seasonal affective disorder, some of it is actually very straightforward. If you are waking up in the morning and thinking, oh my God, I don't think I can get out of bed. I feel terrible. And you take the covers and pull them over your head. You're doing the absolute wrong thing because you're covering up the light that could be making you feel better. So if you jump out of bed or climb out of bed and get yourself some light, you're already just the idea, the understanding and implementing that is already in a rational sense causing you to feel better. But the cognitive behavior therapy, the cognitive piece goes deeper than that because, and here's where your reference to Dr. Ellis comes in. They talk about the ABC of cognitive therapy. There's an antecedent event. There is a belief that is generated by that, and then there's a consequence. So I I always like the um, example of somebody who's calling up somebody else for a date. And you call them up, and they say to you, no, thank you for asking me. I'm not available on Saturday night. Okay, you put the phone down and you say, now, I guess... I guess I didn't use the right voice. I didn't use the right tone of voice. Or maybe I'm not really attractive. Attractive. Maybe, maybe nobody is ever going to want to go on a date with me, and I will be miserable for the rest of my life. That is a maladaptive series of thoughts that you've had. And if you challenge it and you say, well, what are the other reasons why they might not have wanted to go out with you or been able to go out with you, you'll find many alternative reasons. They might have already had a date. They might be in a relationship. Any reason. And once you realize that you shouldn't just seize upon the one idea that's going to make you feel bad, but consider alternative options, then you are ahead of the game and your result will be that you will be feeling better about the whole thing. So Norman, in the brief time we've got left... I, I want to take us in a direction that your book does not directly deal with, but I think you can, given your decades of experience with all of this stuff and, and your work as a psychiatrist, which is not simply, this is my take on psychiatry, uh, which is not simply in the field, in, a, in the medical field. You sort of deal with a much broader 
I mean, with philosophy, I think it was sociology. So here's my question and, and see if you want to tackle it. So it, while in no way challenging the reality of seasonal affective disorder uh, or the, effective, the efficacy of light therapy and diet and exercise and meditation and, and, and uh, CBT, I wanted to go in a different direction. I have a theory that came to me while I was reading your book that millions of Americans, maybe millions and millions of humans, are suffering from a different kind of SAD, societal affective disorder. And we're shrouded in the darkness of a zero-sum, illiberal, racist, anti-Semitic, misogynist, anti-LGBTQ worldview that sort of seeks to rewrite history and restrict learning to an established authoritarian rule in the name of preserving some, I guess, the social standing, cultural dominance, political power of, I don't know, white men. I, I don't know how you want to, you know, how you want to put that. And I'm wondering, because part of your book talks about meditation and spirituality, what kind of using the word light metaphorically, what kind of light therapy might you imagine for this dark night of the American soul? Well, you know, I think, I think you have a really important point here. And I think the black or white or polar opposite points of view where some people espouse philosophies that actually want to cancel or just get rid of other people. So those philosophies are not really compatible with getting along. If I say, listen, we can get along fine as long as I destroy you or you disappear off the earth, that's actually not really the spirit of the thing. Uh, I think that there's the kind of live and let live. And what really fascinates me is that oftentimes people who espouse formal religions, where the religions themselves say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, or many variants of that which exists in almost every religion in one form or another, and yet they can go to their house of worship, wherever that is, and read the words, and yet in their thoughts and in their behaviors, it's all absolutely opposite to that. So I think it is a dark time. It is a dark time. You know, the the word dark has been used in that sense. You know, the dark night of the soul is the the gripping coming to grips with really sad and grim things. But this is the dark day of the soul in which you get onto your social media in order to attack or vilify or cancel or dox people or swat people, all the words that are so hurtful. Um, and I think that it's not really necessary or, or contributory. Yeah, I mean, I certainly agree with that. I mean, one of the interesting things about you know, religion, when you brought up religion, is that, yeah, every religion has its version of the golden rule, and then every religion has its escape hatch so that, you know, you can 
you know, uh, what's hateful to you, don't do to somebody else, is the way it's put in uh, Confucianism and in uh, Judaism. But then they always have, except when it comes to these people. So, right. you know, if it's women, oh, you can do stuff to women. Or if it's uh, LGBTQ or Palestinians or, you know, whoever your other group is, uh, you can you can abuse that group. The golden rule doesn't apply. So, every, you know, every religion has their golden rule and their way around it. I mean, I've the written golden an entire... rule and the golden exception. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. The golden rule and the golden exception. Uh, too bad you hadn't given me that when I wrote my book on this a long time ago. But there is this way out. And, and I, I think there has to be a kind of therapy for the culture that that brings us out of this dark time. Too bad there isn't a light box that people can plug in that would shed light on the dark, you know, the darker feelings that they're that we're experiencing to to just sort of dissipate them. Well, you you know what what occurs to me is even the wish to get into some kind of therapy or to make one's life better. Um, once you're embarked on that journey to make your own life better and to help yourself to evolve as a better person is already antithetical to this dark hatred that we've been talking about. So I think, you know, to some extent, each of us has to struggle with that journey. And if we all did, the world would be a better place. Well, let's end on that note because that's really my, that sounds way more optimistic than my my normal way of thinking. So I appreciate that. I thank you for that. Our guest today, Dr. Norman Rosenthal, is the author of Defeating SAD, SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder, a guide to health and happiness through all seasons. You can learn more about his work at uh, normanrosenthal.com. Dr. Rosenthal, thank you so much for joining us on Spirituality and Health Podcast. The book is excellent. The conversation was great. Thank you for having me, and I very much appreciate it. You are welcome. Spirituality and Health Podcast is produced by Ezra Baker Trupiano, and our executive producer is Brenna Lilly. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating on your podcast app. And if you're not already a subscriber to Spirituality and Health magazine, please become one at spiritualityhealth.com. From everyone at Spirituality and Health magazine, we thank you for your support. I'm Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm. 